You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Odd Trails contains adult language and content. If you have a story to share, send it to stories at oddtrails.com. Enjoy the show. Forget facts. Forget logic. Get I want to start off by saying that I have never been prone to seeing paranormal things. Usually I get strange gut feelings that something is wrong, but I don't see things. In 2018, I went to Florida for a New Year's trip with two of my close friends. I chose the Airbnb that we stayed in, and the following incident is exactly why I've never been allowed to choose where we stay on trips since. We stayed in a small part of a house that was connected to a larger house where the person who was renting out the Airbnb lived. There were two bedrooms, a kitchen area and a common area. The first bedroom was just inside the entrance, down a short hallway off to the right. The second bedroom was at the back of the building. One of my friends shared the back bedroom with me and our other friend slept in the front one alone. One night. We had all gone to bed, but my friend and I weren't able to fall asleep. We both felt very off and couldn't explain why. Something was just wrong. And you know the feeling. The persistent prod at your gut telling you that you aren't safe, no matter what you do. Eventually, we decided to wake up our other friend and make him check the house to make sure that no one but us was there. He groggily wandered through the house, checking closets and underbeds until we were all satisfied we were alone. Still, something felt off, and now that we were all awake, we couldn't get back to sleep. So we all moved to the common area and arranged ourselves on the couches, sitting in the dark with soft music playing on the TV. There was a street light right outside the front window that shone light on the inside. Yet the place was darker than it should have been. Most notably, the short hallway was pitch black. From my place on the couch, I was directly across from it. And though the end of the hallway couldn't have been more than 20 feet away, I couldn't see the wall. We sat in silence for hours hardly talking, mindlessly scrolling through our phones in an attempt to quiet our minds and fears and try to get sleepy. 
My female friend piped up at some point, saying that she had been messing around with a meme on Twitter, one where you use predictive text to type out a sentence in response to a prompt, and she had gotten two answers back to back. God isn't doing this to you, and God isn't going to help you. Now, my friends and I are all religious, so this absolutely scared the piss out of us. It solidified the idea we had all been trying to ignore. Something demonic was there with us. Our male friend doesn't take this lightly. He begins to pray. I don't remember anything that he said. My heart was beating so fast. It drowned out any sounds around me. He prayed for what felt like an hour, but was probably closer to 20 minutes. It was a motor mouse situation, the kind where you just can't stop talking because you're afraid of what will happen if you stop. Suddenly, the dread started to lift, and when he stopped praying, the light from the outside had illuminated the living room the way that it should have hours earlier. It was around 4.30 in the morning at this point, still definitely too dark for the sun to have risen. I remembered the hallway and looked over. I was able to see the wall at the end, plain as day. I could see the doorway to the bedroom as well, off to the side. It was still a little dark, but it was now illuminated by the light of the TV as it should have been. We were all shaken, though glad that that dark energy had passed. It takes another hour before we are all finally ready to retire to bed and we sleep until noon. We stayed a couple more nights with no incidents. Then we went home. We still talk about it often. We're all still very spooked by the event that couldn't be dismissed. We had all experienced it the same way. Something evil was in that house. Hopefully, whatever it is, isn't still there. Frightening other guests. Please be advised that this story contains references of miscarriage. Something happened many years ago that makes me wonder. Maybe some spirits visit us to give us guidance or messages when we need some extra help. It was a cold winter morning when this happened. My daughter was three years old at the time. We had just gotten back to our house after dropping my older son off at school. It was around 7.45 in the morning. The street we lived on was quiet, as it always was at that time of the morning. My husband was traveling for work that week, so I was home alone for several days with our kids. It always made me nervous to be alone without him, but I was managing. The day before was trash pickup day, so when we parked the car and got out, I walked to the end of my driveway to pick up the cans and bring them back up to the house. My daughter, who usually ran to the front door to wait for me, decided to run to the front yard instead and play. She was bouncing around and giggling, the way little girls do. I didn't think much of it. 
I did note, however, that we were the only ones outside on our street. After bringing the trash cans in, I called to her to come inside with me. Once in the house, I headed to the kitchen to get my daughter some cereal. I assumed she was following me, but when I looked back, she wasn't there. After turning all the way around, I saw that she was in the front part of the house, her face pressed against the big windows in the dining room. I asked her what she was doing, and she replied, I'm just watching those guys. I walked over to her and looked out the window. I didn't see anything. The street was just as quiet and empty as it was when we were outside. What guys, honey? I asked her. She pointed to the front yard. Those guys, the ones that stand by the trees. Again, there was nothing in the yard I saw. We had two big live oak trees in the yard, and that was all I saw. My stomach flopped a bit. Clearly, my daughter was seeing something that I wasn't. I had no idea if it was a good something or a bad something. I decided to remain calm and ask her questions without seeming to panic. Honey, mommy doesn't see anything. Are you sure there are guys out there? I asked her. She looked at me and with an almost exasperated tone said, Mom, they are right there. You know, the guys that stand in front of the trees. One of them is really funny. Oh man, I thought, this is real. I kept asking her questions. I needed to understand what it was that she was seeing. Okay, honey, can you tell me what these guys look like? How many are there? She then said, They look like daddy, and there is one, two. Then she paused and thought for a moment. And they look like the sun. Hmm, that one stumped me. But I understood in her three-year-old mind that she must have meant that they were bright like the sun. Okay, honey, I said. So there are two of them. Are they nice? She smiled. Yes, she exclaimed. They love me. They make me laugh. After she said that, she ran off to her room to play with her toys, almost as if nothing happened and it was a totally normal thing for her to see these people in the yard. I sat there puzzled. It had been a difficult month for me when this happened. I had suffered a miscarriage about a week prior. I was too sad to tell my kids, thinking of how heartbroken they would be, since they were so excited about the new baby. After the miscarriage, I decided that my husband and I were done trying for another baby. I had about three at that point over the course of our marriage, and it was just too much of an emotional roller coaster to go through again. After I told my mom later that day about what my daughter had seen in the yard, she said to me, I don't think you're done having kids. That was the furthest thing from my mind since the trauma of another miscarriage was so fresh. About a month after this, 
I learned I was pregnant. Nine months later, I delivered the most beautiful and healthy baby boy. The minute the nurse swaddled him and placed him on my chest after he was born, he clutched his little fingers onto my skin as if he was so happy that he was finally in my arms. The feeling of love was overwhelming. To this day, I think, if my daughter had not seen anything, maybe I would not have been open to trying for another baby. I believe my daughter saw the baby who I lost and also her baby brother who was waiting for our family. I think they came to her in spirit to let us know that they were okay and that one was waiting to come to our family still. I am so grateful I decided to listen to my daughter instead of thinking it was her imagination running wild. On a bitterly cold February afternoon, when I was about 11 years old, I went over to my friend Pete's after school. Pete's house wasn't like mine or any of my other friends' homes. For starters, it was well over 100 years old and had a very strange layout compared to your normal New England suburban home. The interior didn't get a lot of natural light the way that most modern houses are designed to, and it lacked that cozy, homey feel. This was probably due to the fact that Pete's parents were very into antiquing, and the house was furnished and decorated in a style that I would estimate to be the mid-1800s. Visualize oriental rugs, white lace curtains, and tablecloths, ticking old clocks, golden mirrors, and picture frames, as well as very formal furniture. There was even a parlor, complete with a creepy organ. Now, for those who don't know, a parlor was a room in a home used to entertain guests, and like the rest of the house, the room was decorated like it was a hundred years old. I spent a considerable amount of time over at Pete's house growing up, and until this particular afternoon, I never had anything weird happen in that house. Pete, however, had always maintained that he saw an old-timey-looking man in the dining room out of the corner of his eye. The man had a bushy mustache and a derby hat on. I always thought that he was full of it, as he was prone to a fair amount of exaggeration. Through the parlor and up a winding staircase was where Pete's bedroom was on the second floor. The only other room upstairs was a spare bedroom. Shortly after I had arrived, Pete informed me that he had to go do his paper route and asked if I would go along. And being the good friend that I was, I told him, I'll see you when you get back. I had walked over in the freezing cold and I had no intention of going back out when I had his Nintendo to play while I waited for his return. This was the early 90s and I didn't have a Nintendo. So you can understand my rationale. He set out on his route, and I started to play the game Blades of Steel. Now, it wasn't long after he left, maybe less than 10 minutes, that the TV just turned off on its own. It should be noted that none of the other lights that were in the room went out, and also 
that this was not a remote-controlled TV, but one of those old manual-knob-controlled models. Before I had time to think about why that had just happened, I felt a presence. Outside Pete's room was a short hallway, and then the staircase that led downstairs to the parlor. I had this overwhelming feeling that someone was down there. That feeling you get when someone is standing behind you. You can't see them, but you can sense them. They are there. Convinced Pete had come back, maybe to try and scare me, I listened closely for movement. But what I heard was what I thought sounded like a low, heavy breathing. I called out, Nice try, asshole! totally convinced that it was Pete and that he would be coming up the stairs laughing any second. But there was no response, other than more of the breathing. Knowing that Pete would not have carried this joke for this long, I began to panic, trying to rationalize what was happening. For a second, I thought that it might have been his dog, it was an unhealthy, overweight black lab that was prone to loud, labored breathing. But no, she was with his parents who were both at the convenience store that they ran. It was then that my blood ran cold. A feeling of dread overcame me, and the flight instinct began to kick in. There was only one way out, and it was down the stairs and past whatever was waiting at the bottom. I took a deep breath, and hurried down the staircase, looking straight ahead as I ran through the parlor, through the living room, onto the sun porch, and out the front door. Three streets away, I found Pete and told him what happened. I never did have any other weird experiences in that house after that. Pete and his parents ended up moving a mile away to another house when we were in high school. Anytime I'm back home visiting family, I take a drive around town and invariably pass... Pete's old place. I always glance up at the second floor bedroom window as I pass, and I vividly recall the time an unexplained presence caused me to run out of that house on a bitterly cold February afternoon when I was 11. I was born in the 80s in Brooklyn, New York. When I was three, we moved into a pre-war apartment building in Manhattan, and there was some sort of dark presence inhabiting it. My mom also says that I never had a nightmare until the first night we spent there. I can't say that I remember when it all started. It just seemed to always be that way while we lived there. My mom said that when I was very little, I would say that a boy with yucky feet is floating over me, watching me. I don't remember any of that. I was too small, I think. My understanding was that my room had been the room of the previous owner's son, who had passed away in a car accident, but I couldn't tell you if it was him who I saw. The experiences I do remember began at age six, and then stopped when I was 13, because we had then moved to a different apartment downtown. My room was exceptionally girly. Tons of dolls everywhere, pink walls, 
frilly lace, the whole thing. My window had no curtains or shades, so the light from the street lamp would illuminate the room, like a nightlight. I was always okay falling asleep, but I often woke up in the middle of the night. I felt fearful, like I wasn't alone in that room. My skin would feel tight and cold. My heart would race. Sometimes I would hear footsteps in the hallway. My mom and I had adjoining rooms with a bathroom in between, and the doors to the bathroom were always open. I could see her in bed and hear her snoring. It wasn't the sound of the neighbors upstairs or someone on the street. My heart would lurch with each creak and groan of the hardwood floor outside my open door. I felt like the lamp outside was almost like a spotlight, saying, Here she is. Come get her. Right after the first Toy Story movie came out, my mom bought me a Buzz Lightyear piggy bank for Christmas. It was one where you either press a button or drop a coin, and it would say one of Buzz's famous catchphrases. It sat on the floor of the closet. I remember waking in the night shortly after, once again with tight skin and a racing heart to the sound of a ticking clock. The only working one we had was in the kitchen, which was nowhere near the bedrooms. I had one on the wall for decoration, but it had no batteries. Suddenly, the ticking stopped, and out of the silence came the loud sound of the piggy bank. There was nothing that could have touched the button or fallen into the coin slot. I turned over and pulled the covers over my head, and thankfully nothing else happened. The last two instances that stick out in my mind are when I was much older. One evening, I was sleeping with my mother. At this point, she and my dad were divorced, and I was too scared to sleep alone. I awoke during the night, which I hadn't done for a while. My mom's room felt very dark, despite the lack of curtains and the lamp outside. I heard the creak of the floorboards in the hallway. That's when I glanced up and saw the shadows of the doorway break apart and then solidify into a mass of a large man. There were no details, just a very distinct human form. I remember half shutting my eyes and pretending to sleep as I watched him walk across the room and then around the corner of the bed where he took a seat in one of the chairs beside me. And as I forced my eyes shut and started to turn over to hide in the comfort and safety of my mom's back, I heard the tapping of fingernails against one arm of the chair. It still gives me shivers when I think about it. My last experience is the most vivid one and the only one I'd ever had during the day. We were packing up the apartment for our move, so I was about 13. I was in the room we used as an office, messaging a friend on the computer. When I felt hot breath against my ear, and then a loud, angry, guttural male scream. 
It was so loud and so fast that I jumped up, knocking over the chair, and ran out to the living room where my mom and stepfather were watching TV. They seemed to believe me. I was so relieved when we finally moved out. Our new apartment was bright and so much lighter. It didn't feel dark and forbidding. Friends actually wanted to stay over at this place. In 2019, I had surgery. Nothing major. I was expecting to recover fully within a month. I was honestly a little excited about the recovery process. I got the surgery at the end of my senior year and was ready to spend the first month of my summer vacation laying around the house and having everyone tend to me. My family has always been superstitious. With the number of us who have worked in healthcare, it makes some sense. Seeing how random and cruel the world can be has helped me to form my own explanations. I've learned a lot about ghosts, shadow people, and fey creatures. I've always loved that kind of stuff. Anyway, with this surgery, I wasn't allowed to sleep on my side for the first couple of weeks. This was hard for me, since I always seemed to sleep on my side. I spent the first few nights on the couch. My mom kept waking me up so that I would roll onto my back because I kept rolling onto my side even in my sleep. When I got into bed, my mom built walls of pillows around me to prevent me from rolling around. She made sure that my torso was propped up because otherwise it was too hard to sit up on my own. It was really hard to sleep this way at first, but the Vicodin that was prescribed really helped me. I woke up at dawn one morning. The sun rose on my side of the house, and as much as I wished it wasn't, it was bright enough to see around my room. Out of my closet, three things crept out. Tall shadows approached the foot of my bed. I think they were about nine feet tall. The two tallest ones had to bend their necks at an angle for their heads to fit under the ceiling. They stood and stared. They didn't have eyes, but I could tell where their eyes would have been. I could tell that they were watching me. My body was heavy as lead, and I couldn't even move enough to close my eyes to not look at them anymore. As I mentioned, my family is very superstitious, but we were also people of science. If you don't know, sleep paralysis is a condition in which someone is conscious, but their body is still asleep. You can't move. Your breathing is shallow, and dreams overlay the reality in front of you. So, as I lie there, trapped, I am oddly excited. I finally got to experience this phenomenon. I had only heard of it while researching. I woke up again after the sun finished rising. Just as I thought the shadow people were gone, I hopped out of bed and went on with my day. A few days went by and I didn't even think about the shadow people. I was too busy eating snacks, watching YouTube, and being in pain. Little did I know, the shadow people were not done with me yet. One evening, 
I was alone in my house with all of the lights off. I've always preferred to be in a dimmer space, so it doesn't worry me when I see shadows moving in my peripheral vision. It's dark, and I'm tired, so I don't even take the time to look at them head on. As I'm watching TV, something crawls out of the fireplace. Each limb snakes down the chimney, and it's another tall shadow figure. Standing right by the stairwell, he has enough room for his height, and he's head level with the second story. The figure turns toward me and watches. I rubbed my eyes, and he was still there, still just watching. I'm stuck on the couch. The incisions from my surgery are still healing, and if I try to move too quickly, I might tear myself open. So I decide to stay put. After a moment of the two of us just staring at each other, I scramble to grab my phone. I've heard hallucinations don't show up on phone cameras, and that must be what this shadow person was. And before I could point the phone, it was gone. The figures continued to follow me for the rest of the month. I kept trying to ignore them, assuming that they're just a creation of my brain due to all the stress that I was under. I didn't tell anyone about the shadow figures either. I didn't want to sound crazy. I just assumed things would work themselves out. And I guess they did. The shadow people left as suddenly as they arrived, right after I finished my prescription. This is when I remembered something my dad had warned me about. Some members of our family were known to have freak reactions to drugs. For example, I have a grandma who will have hallucinations if she takes Benadryl. Now I tell my doctors I'm allergic to opioids. So to the shadow people who stalked me at my most vulnerable while I was recovering, let's not meet again. When I was 13, I went to spend the night at my friend's house. It was my first time even being at her house. At some point, she and her older brother had started telling me that their house was haunted. They told me that sometimes there would be a woman's face through the window of the basement door. I stared at them, horrified. They then told me a woman's body was found behind their house before they moved in. The way they said this with stifled laughter made me think they were most likely making it all up. I did believe in ghosts, though. At the time, I also believed their stories to some extent, even through their laughter. I had an unsettling feeling inside that house, especially that furnished basement. My friend asked if I wanted to sleep in the basement as a joke after telling me these stories, which I obviously protested by screaming no. So we slept in her bedroom. I remember Tangled was playing, and the DVD just kept playing on repeat. I couldn't really sleep. I'd shoot awake, sitting up and just staring at the closet for some reason. Then I'd look at the movie and go back to sleep. I did this for a while. Shoot awake, look at the closet, see the movie starting over, then lay back down, rinse and repeat. <laughs> 
At one point while shooting awake, the sliding closet door was shaking. It was as if someone on the other side was aggressively pushing on it, making noise to wake someone up. It was a loud rattling noise of the wooden doors banging together and banging against the door track. I looked at my friend who was still asleep and would not wake up, then immediately back to the closet. I was shaking with fear. It was as if someone was trying to get out. I forced myself to go to sleep to make it stop. I think I only woke up once or twice more after that, still looking at the closet, shooting awake in terror. Even before the noise and the shaking, I had a bad feeling coming from that closet. The next morning, I brought it up to my friend, and specifically her brother. I asked him if he was in her room that night, and he looked at me, confused, asking why would he be in there. His face looked genuine compared to when he originally told me the stories that made him laugh, trying to scare me. They both kind of shrugged it off as being a draft or something. I'm not certain if it was him or not, but the way the energy felt in that house, in that room, that was enough for me. It was also definitely too aggressive to be a draft. But the story isn't over yet. Fast forward 10 years, I'm 23 now. I had actually just told the story to a friend of mine, and not even two weeks later, this happens. I'm swiping through Tinder aimlessly. I got a match and they said they thought they knew me. It scared the shit out of me when the next message was my first and last name. Last names aren't something shown on dating apps. I took a second look at their pictures and realized it was my friend's older brother from all those years ago. We talked for a while catching up. We talked for about a week, then he asked me on a date, and I said yes. We ended up hanging out quite late at his house, the same house that I used to have sleepovers with my friend ten years prior. It was past 9pm. We were sitting outside reminiscing. I asked if he believed in ghosts, and he said no, but admitted his friends had supernatural experiences in his home. I reminded him about the experience I had in his sister's room. He was kind of speechless and said yet again that he didn't and wouldn't do that. He told me his friends would refuse to spend the night because they would wake up during the night to a shadowy figure over them. I brought up that he and his sister told me a woman's body was found in their backyard, which I laughed about because I still didn't think it was true. Then, he told me, it's an animal grave. Do you want to see it? I looked at him like he was crazy. It was pitch black out, and his backyard was pretty big. I kept saying no because, I mean, I was, after all, on a Tinder date, and it was extremely dark. A man was asking me to visit a grave. All the red flags were there, to be quite honest. I said no a few times. Then he finally convinced me. I think it was, in his head, a tactic for me to hold onto his arm. Nonetheless, we walked through his yard. The only thing on this entire stretch of freshly cut grass 
was a white wooden cross with a big rock in front of it. It was eerie to look at. Truthfully, I couldn't believe it was real. I never thought it was real. We got close to it, and he told me that when they first moved in, only the large rock was there. The cross was added later, which means it wasn't his family who put it there. We talked more about it, and I just didn't feel like it was an animal grave. He thought it was, though. To me, it just seemed too large to be one. The cross also felt like it was meant more for a human. It was interesting to me that a supposed grave on their property wasn't theirs, that the cross was added after they moved in. There was also a patch of dirt in front of the cross, and grass hadn't grown over it after all these years. So I don't know for sure if it was an animal grave or not, but I do know the entire land and house gave me bad vibes from the moment I walked in. He may not have believed in ghosts, but he did admit that maybe it was haunted, considering he had heard stories from four separate people of things they experienced. I firmly believe that house is haunted by someone or something. So let me tell you what I would have done. What would you have done? I would have dug up the grave. Thank you. I I was thinking the same thing. That would be problem solved. What are they thinking? I mean, just going to leave it there and just ignore the fact that there's a mysterious grave on their property and just live life not knowing what's in there? Maybe let's give them the benefit of the doubt Mm. and let's assume they just wanted to not disturb whoever or whatever was resting there. But I I think of it this way. You either dig up a body, in which case, hello, police, mm-hmm. or you dig up a poor animal, and that's just rude. You can't you can't disturb a sweet animal. Well, if there's a grave on your own property, you could legally dig it up, even if it's a body, right? I'm thinking more ethically. Oh, okay. But yeah, I, I would too. I'd dig that shit up immediately. Dude, I find, a, <laughs> I find a mysterious grave on my property. Ethics are out the window. I don't care if it's a... a baby mouse or uh, somebody's grandpa. I'm digging them up and I'm going to find out Mm -hmm. why it's there, who put it there, and I'm going to get the police involved because it could be a crime. Who knows? Exactly. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. I know if that happened to me on my property, uh, I would would definitely be out there with a shovel myself immediately. And the the tricky thing is like, yeah, let's assume it's a crime, but who would really want to mark a grave for a crime they committed. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it may not be a crime. You're right. Unless they're just some wild murderer who wants to brag about their crimes and leave a mark. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, it's probably not a crime. I guess you're right. But still. Trespassing. Trespassing. That should be a felony. I tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> so since we talked about dreams so much in the last episode, I've gotten a lot of people write in with dream stories or talking about their dreams being so vivid just because they listened to that episode. Just by talking about lucid dreams on that last episode. Yeah. You will never guess what happened. Yeah. Okay. I'm never going to guess that you had a dream or a lucid. (gasps) Did you even have a lucid dream that night? Yes. You're too good. You're too good. Shut up. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I would I would assume that uh, it was probably because of talking about it. Like I was saying, as soon as you start thinking about it and talking about it, 
it just bam, it just happens. It's wild. Yeah, it planted something in my subconscious. So what what was the dream? Okay, a little backstory here. I have a 90s playlist with songs from every genre to include the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> so I, I had listened to some Backstreet Boys that day. And I guess that explains the dream because I was at one of their concerts. And the weird thing that triggered the thought that it could be a dream was I noticed how young they still looked. They looked straight from 1999. Oh, yeah. Like and their Disney Channel special, like prime yeah. Backstreet Boys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I turned and I mentioned that to some scruffy looking guy who was standing next to me. And then he just rolls his eyes and sarcastically says, that's because you're dreaming. (laughs) And then I so weird. I know, I know. And then I stopped and just asked myself if that was true. And then it was like in Wizard of Oz where everything turns to color. Mm -hmm. Normally, normally I try to run around and cause some mischief without having to be held accountable for my actions. But instead, I just enjoyed the music. Yeah, it was nice. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, that's cool that you were able to just enjoy it. Um, normally, my dream characters try to convince me that I, I am not dreaming. Uh, mm-hmm. That's actually a lot more common. That's cool that you you have cool dream characters. That, I think that says something about your your uh, your psyche, maybe that uh, that they were working with you and helping you out. That that seems to be the case. Yeah, I usually have good guides on my. Let's call them various journeys. Mm-hmm. I have good guides. Yeah, I can remember my very first lucid dream where I really took advantage of it like that, where I was just like, oh, wow, I'm just going to enjoy this. And that was, I was just like walking in a nice neighborhood in the fall. It kind of looked like the Halloween, uh, like from the movie Halloween, that, oh, that, yeah. that neighborhood. It's really nice. And I was just like, I was like, all right, I'm dreaming. So I just started to fly and I was flying over the neighborhood, looking down on everything. It was beautiful, and then I even meditated a little bit. I think I talked about this in a past episode, so I'm not going to go into yeah, it. meditating in lucid dreams. Yeah, That's but the, that we was all the know. craziest, most psychedelic experience I've ever had. Meditating in a dream was just crazy, but yeah, it's so cool when you have those ones where you can just enjoy it, and because that's so rare. Because normally you freak out when you find out you have a lucid dream, and you wake up, or it becomes a nightmare. And that's cool that you had that. That's what usually happens to me. The first time I had the lucid dream, that's when I was in the mall. Then I ran into my mom Mm -hmm. and I asked her if I was dreaming and she said, yes. And then I just started flying. But once I was airborne, I freaked out and started crashing down. And that's when I woke up. Yeah. It's so weird that like you have all this power, but all of a sudden when you start to doubt yourself, it all just goes away. It says, it really Mm -hmm. says something about the power of the mind. Our minds even let us down (laughs) in our dreams. I know. Isn't that something? They give us nightmares for crying out loud. <laughs> um, I guess I'll just share one of my dreams. So I, I have a dream journal and I, I uh, on my phone, I'll log every dream that I can remember when I wake up. And uh, so this was one that was a really interesting one last night because it went on for so long. This dream felt like days and days, but I titled it Mom Death at Church. I know it sounds dark and sad. But. Mm-hmm. So I'm at a church service. Uh, I'm close to the front on the left side of the congregation and sitting on the steps of the platform, I see Tucker Carlson. <laughs> He's reading a newspaper. <laughs> this is weird. And what's also weird is everyone in the audience got all excited and applauded. But when they did, I turned away and looked back and he was Ron Paul. <laughs> he transformed into Ron Whoa. Paul. Yeah. Whoa. I don't know what's going on there. Um, maybe just too much news, too much crap. But uh, I then see like a friend of mine, like a childhood friend, and we go and grab some cigarettes and we find this other room on the in the church building and it has like a kitchen and a couch. 
So we light up our cigarettes and we start smoking. Someone comes in the room and says, your mom's coming. And so I put out the cigarette and I try to stuff it behind a couch cushion. And I run out the door and I start jogging around the the building to try and get rid of the smell because I I just figured that's going to get rid of the smell for some reason. Oh, that's so funny. When I was a little delinquent in high school, (laughs) I did the same thing. It never worked. Don't smoke. (laughs) Of course not. Yeah, I don't. It's so weird that I was smoking cigarettes in my dream. I, I don't smoke. Yeah, I, I put out the cigarette. I run. I come back, and the couch is on fire. I didn't put out the cigarette all the way, mm. and uh, I put it out with my hands. I just kind of like pat it out, and it goes away. And uh, then I'm back in the church again, and I look out the the front door, which are gla- the doors are glass, and my mom is out there, but she's just standing still and staring into the parking lot, like frozen. She's not moving, and my friend that was with me earlier is freaking out. He starts yelling at his mom, who's also there. He's so upset, but I can't figure out why he's upset about my mom being out there. And I go outside and I find out that my mom is standing there, yes, but she's dead. She's just a corpse just standing there. Her eyes are black, (laughs) like blacked out completely, and she's just dead. I run inside and I, I find my dad and he's freaking out because my mom's missing. And I tell him, no, she's dead. We go back out there and she's gone. And I guess she hadn't died. She was just missing. And Hmm. we couldn't find her anywhere. I don't know what this dream means, but it was extremely vivid. Not lucid, but like so vivid that I woke up really emotional and like affected by it. So when you say she was missing, did you later find her and that's the state you found her in? Basically, this happens in dreams a lot for me. I see something that I go somewhere else and then it turns out what I saw didn't actually happen. And I just, um, I just assumed that it didn't happen and then I made it up or I, okay, I, I was mistaken. Gotcha. Things change in my dream a lot. Mm-hmm. And the continuity is never consistent. No. And I always just go with it. I never question it. Mm-hmm. When I do question it is when I get lucid, but for some reason, exactly. most yep. of the time Same. I don't, it's so hard. And uh, yeah, I, I didn't question it. And I just kind of went along with it. So I just assumed, oh, I guess she's missing. She's not dead. Whew. Let's look for mom. And then I woke up. Mm-hmm. I wish I knew. I wish I could interpret dreams. I wish I knew if they meant something. You know what I mean? Are they just yeah. random things or do they? I think they something? do. Yeah. Freud, despite his flaws, he has a really good book about dreams. It's a quick read. I recommend checking that out. I would love to read Freud, but I have such a hard time understanding it. It's so... This like, one's really plain English. Okay, good. The English is so complicated in some of his his writing. It's like I, Nietzsche. Everybody wants to love Nietzsche, but nobody knows what the hell he's saying. So it's interesting that Freud talks about in dream interpretations. I've never I've never really tried to tried to do it though. I don't know. I don't know what dreams mean. For yours, I'm going to give you some unsolicited analysis. Mm-hmm. I think it's I think most dreams are just our subconscious manifesting in obscure ways. And in this case, perhaps you're worried about your mom about something. Perhaps there's something going on in her life. Maybe you miss her. Maybe, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot there. Yeah, there's there's a lot going on with her and her life and her mom, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, There's just like a ton of heavy stuff going on there. So that's probably what it is. It's just like weighing on my mind. It's been on my mind a lot, Um, like real deep stuff. And then the cigarettes, that's, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, that was weird. And Ron Paul and. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's probably just like YouTube stuff. But I think. The fact that you were smoking and then had to hide from your mom and somebody warned you, maybe you're feeling like you have to walk on eggshells in some ways or you have to hide 
something from her. Oh, yeah. I mean, we all have to hide things from our parents. Right. Like, yeah. ever since we were kids, everybody hides things from their parents. You would you would never be completely 100% honest with your parents about everything in your life. Like, we're all, everybody hides I have things. been lately, believe it or not. I think it's funny getting their reaction. I t- I've told them a lot, things that I thought I was going to take to my grave, but it's just funny getting their reaction. I just don't care anymore. I'm too old. Interesting. Well, you don't have conservative Christian parents that uh, That's still true. hold value, have so much put so much value on certain things that don't need it <laughs> and so much importance on things that don't need it. The worst I get is brand. Yeah. Just no. Mild disappointment, but whatever. Nah, it's, it's everything so serious with my parents. It is. It is. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I, I, I talked about a dream episodes, episodes ago, maybe 20, 30 episodes ago about when I thought my mom was in a room with me. We talked about this and I went to go see her. And when I looked at her, she had like, it was like a blank face. It wasn't her face or something. It might've been like, like a mask or something. I don't remember exactly, but it was another thing where it was like, my mom was just standing there and I look at her and her face is wrong. Something's wrong with her. Yeah. So since that's recurring, there's gotta be something there. Mm -hmm. Why else would it happen again? You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, dream stuff is so interesting because we all experience it. So uh, feel free to send in your dream stories. We love talking about that stuff on the show. Thanks so much for listening this week. You have heard Florida Hallway Demon by Bailey. My son visited my daughter before he was born by Keenan. The Breath at the Bottom of the Stairs by M. Thomas. The Boy with the Yucky Feet by Cat. A Spooky Subject by Samus, and finally, Grave Encounter by Nicole. All the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. Make sure to send your stories in to stories at oddtrails.com if you want to hear them on the show. And make sure you join our Patreon if you want to get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes at a higher bitrate for the best listening experience. That's at patreon.com forward slash oddtrails. We'll see you next week. Stay safe. Peace out.